You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. And it's masterclass time. Looking forward to hearing from all of you. Let me welcome our guest, Dr. Neelan Pele. Welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Hi, Rilabuhile. Thank you so much for having me here. It's such a big pleasure to be here on 702 today. So I am um, um, particularly excited for this conversation, not because I'm a woman, but because there are so many women that are completely unaware of certain issues with fertility, which can also occur later in life. You may have had a child when you were young, possibly as a teenager, and then struggle much later. And fertility issues are so vast and complex. And I'm just excited to um, be able to share with everyone who may be sitting um, wondering why it is they are unable to conceive. Uh, yeah, it's so, such an exciting topic. And, you know, it's such a passion for me. Uh, in the last few years, I've been involved in this space. You know, prior to 2012, many few women had an option of fertility preservation. But since 2012, there's been a, a real big uptake in fertility preservation, particularly among women. Started off a lot in the northern countries, mm. in the US and Europe, but it's largely moved over to South Africa. And it's quite encouraging for me to see in the last few years, there's a number of women coming through for fertility preservation. Mm. And I'm just wondering, obviously, with South Africa having its own unique set of women, there are certain challenges that are more prevalent in black women and Indian women and white women. Why would you say that is the case? And maybe we can start to touch on some of those um, challenges, be it fibroids or PCOS and the like. All right. You know, in South Africa, we've got a very unique scenario. We've got a sort of a, a melting pot of various different cultures, different race groups, mm. uh, you know, uh, which makes uh, practicing in South Africa really special as, as, as a physician. Uh, if you look at different age groups, uh, and this is kind of, you know, just throwing a ballpark figure out there, you know, I would find more African women in terms of fertility will have fibroids mm. top on their list. If I look at more Indian women, for example, endometriosis would be something that I, that I see quite a lot of. Mm. And, and white women would probably be somewhere in between. Now, that's no exception to the rule, you know. Mm. I mean, we have many uh, African women that have endometriosis and Indian women that might have, got, might have fibroids contributing to their, their fertility. But the theme that re- runs through all race groups is age. Mm. Now, the biggest predictor of your fecundity, which is the ability to conceive and have a baby, is age. Mm. You know, age kind of out-trumps everything else. Uh, I often get asked that, you know, at family functions and around brides, you know, are women and couples having more problems with fertility in these days? And I say, you know what? The biggest issue is really that we as a population are waiting longer to have children. Mm. And that's basically what it boils down to. Because we are poor. (laughs) (laughs) We are poor. Uh, You know, I I don't think, uh, you know, money is the only factor when it comes to having children. I'm not saying it's not an important factor, Mm. but I don't think it's the only factor. So from your observation, I mean, obviously, these, this would possibly fall partly outside of your scope of expertise because it's just a societal change that 
um, women are no longer confined to being at home and, you know, just having children. And now we're trying to have careers and you try to be strategic about, okay, when is the right time to possibly have a child? Am I going to miss out on that promotion? Am I going to be overlooked? And do we have enough money and all of those things? What are you finding in your rooms when women come to consult and they are, let's say, your early, early, early 20s? Are they coming because, oh, I've got a sore period or I know this is the right thing to do? Or they're coming because I'm starting to get pressure from my parents um, to bring grandchildren. And it's very funny. All of the parents that were telling us no boys and then all of a sudden, where are the grandkids? I'm like, we didn't meet men. You wouldn't allow us to date. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's such a true reflection of what's happening in South Africa today. You know, I, I sit in front of my patients, especially young women that come to see me. And I tell them, you know, I'm a father of three girls myself. Uh, and you're and also not going to let them date. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell them, you know, the conversation I'm having with you will be the very same conversation I have with my girls. Mm. I would really like them to have a career of their own. Mm. I would like them to do the best they can do. But unfortunately, as a society, we are not geared in protecting our women mm. in terms of allowing them the space to develop their careers and at the same time, allowing to, them to reproduce and having families and children of their own. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's a societal thing. Uh, you know, there was an interesting professor that presented at one of the fertility congresses about two years ago in America. And they said we should uh, try moving away from, you know, fertility preservation and rather saying this is societal preservation. Ooh. We should rather look at it at that because if we as a society did better by protecting our females, allowing them to do well in the workspace and allowing them to reproduce, then they would be able to reproduce at an earlier age in their life rather than trying to knock out the lights at their career and mm. then coming to have a baby at the age of 40 when the eggs are really not at their prime uh, mm. period in their life. So uh, just a, a, a thought, with the development of technology and IVF and, and um, um, more public figures speaking openly about surrogacy, there seems to be a little bit of talk, and maybe this pertains to your big Hollywood celebrities, that, oh, now you can outsource anything, including having your child. Is that like a real thing? Or do you find that women still desperately want to carry themselves? Uh, or generally, most women want to carry themselves. Mm. Unless uh, there's a medical... Correct. That's yeah. what we find in South Africa. And I think in South Africa, we have a very unique uh, constitution that actually protects the rights of women. Mm. So in order for you as a woman to qualify for the use of a surrogate, you as a, as a woman need to prove that you are unable to carry the baby by yourself. Mm. So A, you must, I'm just using an easy example, yes. but if you had a hysterectomy, you can't carry a baby. Yes. Therefore, you would need a surrogate. Or hypothetically speaking, if we did IVF for you mm. and you had repeated failures and there's a problem with your uterus, then you need a surrogate. And yes, you know, when you look in the movies and look at America and all these women are outsourcing their fertility, you know, there is some thinking behind that. Mm. And the thinking is that we do not want to take advantage of the poor in South Africa. Mm. Because if people carry on outsourcing their pregnancies, the people that are going to get taken advantage of are really the poor, which mm. we don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Are you finding that over the last couple of decades or maybe even as far as centuries go, our generation of women is struggling with fertility? Are we having more problems maybe with change in lifestyle, how we're eating and things like that? It's a culmination of two big factors. The one factor, as you rightly put it, is what we are eating. 
but the downside of that is we cannot change it. So there are compounds that are called phylates and BPAs that are in everything that we are exposed to. Mm. So even hypothetically speaking, I use an example, if you're on a vegetarian diet, doesn't mean that you're protected from these compounds because the pesticides that could have been used to water and irrigate and give nutrition to the plants could be in the diet that you're taking in. Mm. And that affects egg quality. What's even more interesting, you could be leading a perfectly healthy life but maybe your mother ate something when she was pregnant with you in her womb mm. and that affected your eggs. Oh, wow. So it's a transgeneration effect, number one. Number two, as I mentioned before, it's because we are waiting longer to have babies as women. Mm. Women are waiting longer. Your peak fertility, which is very interesting, the chance of falling pregnant is the best when a woman is around the age of 25. Mm. And then get this, the chance of falling pregnant per month is only 25%. Mm. As opposed to rabbits, for example, the chance of conception per month is in the region of 70%. So as a human race, you know, we're not very good at reproducing. Even though there's a perception because our population grows so quickly and we will hear about X amount of teenage pregnancies at school. The perception is people can just get pregnant quite easily. But rightly, as, as um, Dr. Shanghai said last week, that it, it isn't something that happens easily. I want to now ask, obviously, when it pertains to men, we talk specifically about sperm count and certain things around sperm. But with women, you aren't just looking at eggs. So what are the things that you look at that will say, yes, you are fertile, we'd encourage you to try for a child or, oh, your eggs look amazing, but your ability to, you know, what are all those things that we look at? All right. So the first thing, number one, we want to have a healthy woman. So a healthy woman, she must have a good body mass index. Mm. She must have no medical problems. Or even if she does have medical problems, she must have do their best to have them under control. So I'm going to talk about HIV, for example. If mm. she has HIV positive, CD4 count must be good. Viral load must be undetectable. And she must be on ARVs. Mm. If she's hypertensive, it must be well controlled. If she's got diabetes, it should be well controlled. If she's got any autoimmune diseases like the rheumatoid and the lupus, also it needs to be under controlled and the disease needs to be quiet. Mm. Once we've done that, then the second thing is, as a fertility specialist, we look at three important things, or let's say two important things. The one is looking at the number of eggs, mm. right? So we want to have what we call a good ovarian reserve. Mm. There are two ways of checking the ovarian reserve. One is with a blood test, and the second as we can count the number of eggs per ovary. Then we look at the womb, of the uterus, we want to make sure that the shape of the uterus is good. We want to make sure that there's no masses in the uterus. We can also look at the tubes to a certain extent. So generally speaking, it's difficult to see the tube on the ultrasound mm. unless there's a problem like an abscess in the tube, which we normally call a hydrosalpinx. And then the important thing to uh, take into account is a woman's history. Mm. So for example, if she's not getting a regular menstrual cycle, then she's got a high chance that she might not be ovulating. Mm. This is very, very important, which is a, a very important topic to me called endometriosis, right? Mm. So if a woman has got any discomfort when she has a period, how does she know she's got discomfort? Is she using a hot water bottle, sitting with a hot water compressions or in a hot tub? Or if she has to take pain medication when she's on a period, mm. it is not normal. Mm. Then we've got a high suspicion of having endometriosis. Mm. Other things that endometriosis can block the fallopian tubes 
which prevents the sperm and the egg from coming together. It can also kill the eggs quicker. Then, if she's got a history of having a sexually transmitted disease, mm. like a pelvic infection, that can block the fallopian tubes. If she has any previous surgery, it also increases the risks mm. of having blocked tubes or a decreased ovarian reserve. What about possible physical disabilities? Are there any physical disabilities where as a gynae, I mean, majority of the time, I would assume when people are visiting your rooms, it's not to say, should we fall pregnant? It's like, oh, it's done. And you now need to say how we're going to make <laughs> this work. Um, um, do you find ever that you have individuals where you would say we would not encourage uh, people with certain physical disabilities, for example, to um, carry because the body might be might take strain or whatever the case may be? You know, to a certain extent, there may be certain patients or women that we would encourage not to conceive, but there's no real blanket policy that I would say, Mm -hmm. you know, all women, I'm just going to use an example, like all women that are paraplegic shouldn't conceive. Mm. You know, that is not really a blanket statement. Mm. You know, it depends on what their body structure looks like, mm. depends on what the ability of their heart to support the pregnancy looks mm. like. So all of those need to be individualized. You know, I work on the other hand, we see more couples that can't have babies, yes. helping them to have babies. Yes, yes. So what are then, would you say, are some of the top three challenges that you find women are facing when they're having fertility issues? Um and I'm, I'm hoping we're also going to touch on the not so obvious reasons because you've heard, we've heard of many couples who say we've been trying for years and in the moment they stopped trying, they fall pregnant. <laughs> that is true to a certain extent, but it's the exception rather than the rule. Yes. Okay. Um, I think there's two important questions that you brought out there that I'd like to answer in the following way. Mm. The one is what is the definition of infertility? Mm. Now, the definition of infertility is if a couple has been having unprotected sex for a year and they have not conceived. So that's how you see it in the, in the medical world. That is. Okay. Right. Why do we put it at one year? Because after that year, majority of women should conceive in that year. Mm. And if you have not conceived in the year, it means that most likely there's an issue. There is a proviso. If, you haven't con- if you're older than the age of 35 and you haven't conceived, then we wait six months, not mm. a year. Right. Then the second part of your question is what are the top reasons that women don't conceive? So mm. let's talk once we've made the diagnosis of infertility, which is essentially having, having not conceived after a year, mm. there are big groups or classes of reasons for infertility. One will be female factor. Mm. One will be male factor. One will be combined. Mm. And the fourth group is an unexplained. Uh, for the purpose of this discussion, let's focus on the female factor. Yes. The female factor, if we look at some anatomy, there could be a problem in the ovary. Mm. A, there's no eggs. B, the woman is not ovulating. Or C, the quality of the eggs are not good. Mm. Or alternatively, if we move down the anatomy and you look at the fallopian tubes, if there's a blockage in the fallopian tube. Those are the big reasons. And thirdly, which are smaller reasons, is implantation failure. So maybe the embryo is not sticking in the womb or if there's a problem at the level of the cervix where the sperm cannot go through. But usually the second two are much lower down on the category. Is there such a thing as, as and I don't know how to ask this, egg and sperm incon- incompatibility? As in when these two people come together, they just cannot fertilize. But is there such a thing? Yes, there is a thing. Um, it's not necessarily that you chose the wrong man or the wrong woman. 
that your <laughs> sperm and the egg can't come together. Yes. Uh, it's more in terms of maybe the sperm doesn't have the ability to penetrate the egg. And for that particular egg or any egg? It can be any egg. Okay. It can be any egg. And for that, we do a technique called ICSI, called mm. intracytoplasmic sperm injection, where we take the egg and inject it into the, sorry, take the sperm and inject it into the egg. Mm. Um, I'm going to um, take some questions on the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702 and of course you can give us a call 011-883-0702 and ask questions of our guest the one question says Hi Lebkhile and Dr. Pele so the damage is done I'm 44 and I want a baby here in Europe I'm too old to qualify for IVF so what supplements can I take to make my eggs more fertile that is Heidi the Hague and maybe you can respond to Heidi by addressing what is the age that is like you're really pushing it now because for me 44 still sounds doable but the my reference is janet jackson who has access to billions of dollars who conceived at 50 and mind you we don't know the help she got that is true um so generally speaking the quality and the quantity of the eggs go down quite significantly after the age of 32 ah I thought it was five. Yeah, 32. Uh, from 32, there's a sharp decline from 35, as you rightly yes. put it. Uh, whenever I see a patient in front of me, I tell the patient, the best I can offer you is IVF. Mm. That's the best I can offer you. You know, obviously, we've got different treatments, medication, etc. But the very best I can offer you is IVF. Can we very quickly explain to all the listeners who don't know what IVF is, what it is, and how it works? Okay. So, in vitro fertilization, IVF is called in vitro fertilization. What it simply means, it means we need two things for that to happen. We need eggs, and the eggs we can get either from an egg donor, mm -hmm. or we can get from the woman that wants to conceive. Mm. First, we give a medication to make her eggs grow. Mm. And imagine taking blood mm. through the vagina. Mm. That's how we take the eggs out. So we see the eggs, it's quite simple to see. Mm. They're quite big. Uh, sorry, we see the follicles, with our, which are the houses for the egg on the ultrasound. Yeah. We put a little needle into the eggs, into the follicles. We suck the fluid out and we look for the eggs. So in the laboratory, we'll have the eggs. The partner gives us sperm. That might be from the partner or donor. We take the sperm. We put it together with the egg in the laboratory. We incubate it in an incubator overnight and the sperm fertilizes the egg. That is simple in vitro fertilization. So the in uh, uh, question... The in vitro is that it's happening in the lab, in the lab, which is vitro. So question that term that used to be thrown around test tube baby. Was that in vitro or was it actually something else? It's interesting where it came from, because <laughs> at this point in time, we use incubators to incubate the sperm and egg together. Back then, they used a test tube with special liquid in it. So okay, that's so where that test tube came. My grandmother was horrified when I spoke to her. She says, I won't love that thing. <laughs> so, old school thinking. Okay, so now back to Heidi. What can she take in terms of supplements to make her eggs more fertile? Or what can she do? So we're assuming she is in Europe and she doesn't have access to certain supplements. Okay. Now, the truth of the matter, you know, I like to be honest with all my patients. Right. And sometimes honesty might not be what you want to hear. Mm. After the age of 42, bordering on 43, mm. to try to do IVF, which I said is the very best we can offer you, mm. using your own eggs, the chance of falling pregnant is around the region of 3%, mm. which is very, very low. Yeah. And uh, majority of the clinics, including myself, if a woman is above the age of 43, I would strongly advise her 
not to use her own eggs to do IVF. However, I said the chance of falling pregnant with her own eggs is probably in the region of 3%. Mm. Right? That's taking home a live baby. So it's not that, oh, okay, I understand. Taking so home you, a live baby. Not you're, you're saying the 3% as in you carry all the way with your own egg and baby goes home correct. safe and healthy. Correct. I got you. Now, if, if we use an egg donor, which mm. is in a woman, let's say, in her late 20s, early mm. 30s maybe, that chance of a live birth goes to the region of 50 to 60%. Mm. Mm. So there may be many treatments that she's going to read about on the internet, unfortunately, which are not scientific. Mm. And the chance of it working is negligible. Mm. And I would advise her, as hard and difficult as it sounds, to rather look deeply into the egg donation option. Mm. A, she's going to get a healthier pregnancy. Her time to pregnancy is going to be quicker. Mm. She's got a higher chance of taking home a live birth. Mm. Financially, she's going to spend much less than she would with this aim of trying to use her own eggs. And not only from a financial point of view, but emotionally to try to go through this whole rigmarole, doing the IVF, not Mm. falling pregnant or falling pregnant and having a miscarriage really does take a lot out of women. And and I think um, that is something that many people, you know, when they have conversations around something as simple as going through the process of IVF and doing it multiple times, it doesn't matter how rich you are. It might not work the first five, six, seven times and you might struggle. Even if you do fall pregnant, doesn't mean you'll be able to carry to term and have a safe and healthy uh, baby. But we'll take more of your calls and your questions on 011-883-0702 on the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Masterclass. Our masterclass for today is on preserving fertility for women. We're taking your calls on 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072702. 1702. Our guest for today is Dr. Neelan Pele, specialist gynecologist and subspecialist in reproductive medicine and endocrine. Now, we're going to go straight to the lines, uh, doctor. So if you can just put your headphones on and um, we will quickly, quickly arrange that for you. But while we are uh, making that happen, doctor, we've touched on some of the common issues. What would you say to the young woman in their 20s they should not be doing? to preserve their fertility because some of them might be listening saying 25 is just too young. I've just graduated. I've just started my first job. The dating scene is horrific. I'm not even considering having a child. But what can I do now that I am still young to make sure I'm preserving my fertility till the time that I'm ready to have a baby? Okay, so the first thing I would say is to be on proper contraception if Mm. you are sexually active. And the reason for that is that if we have an unwanted pregnancy, mm. which leads to a termination, that has got a higher chance of causing problems later on. Mm. Secondly, use condoms, mm-hmm. right? Because condoms prevent sexually transmitted diseases, which can also block fallopian tubes. Mm. In terms of the diet, you know, the data, we know we should all eat healthy. That's yes. important for your general health. But in terms of all the different substances and how they affect your diet, it's really difficult from a statistical point of view, except for smoking. Mm. Smoking, we know, definitely kills eggs quicker. Mm. So if you can do anything, stop smoking, stop vaping. One of the most fascinating things that I learned is that your grandmother as a woman with eggs 
my grandmother had me in her tummy as well because I was eggs in my mom when she was a baby in my granny's tummy. That is true. And that's what I tried to bring across with the transgenerational effect yes. where we spoke about until the level of your mum when she was pregnant with you in her tummy. But as you rightly put, you know, her eggs could have been affected yes. when she was in her mother's uterus. But what a beautiful thought that your grandmother may have carried you. Like that is <laughs> such a beautiful thought. All right, let's go to the lines we have in Dogozo in Johannesburg. Go ahead in Dogozo. Good afternoon, Valibuhila. Hi, Dr. Pele. Mm. Hi. Hi. Um, so I'm 35 years old, and I know that um, I want to have children one day. I'm just not ready yet. Mm. And I've, I've uh, consulted with my gynecologist about freezing my eggs, and she has told me that, um, kind of discouraging me, telling me that this will put me at risk for early menopause uh, and um, other complications later in life. So my question is, what are the dangers or disadvantages of freezing the eggs? Mm, that's such a good question. And maybe just to add on to that, um, doctor, the unfreezing of the eggs part, because I think that doesn't get spoken about often enough. All right. Okay. And so I, I think in terms of level of qualification, I think it's something that I'd like to talk about, to touch mm. a little bit about. So to become a subspecialist in reproductive medicine, first you become a GP. So you study about six years for that. Then you do your normal internship community service. Then if you want to specialize further, you have mm. to become a gynecologist, which takes four years of what we call registrar time, mm. where you study and you work at the academic hospital. And then if you want to be a subspecialist in reproductive medicine, you go back to university. In my case, I went to the Pretoria University and we trained at the, I trained at the Steve Beaker Academic Hospital, which takes another, four, another two years. Mm. So there's a number of things that we learn in that time. We only focus, obviously, on fertility. And it's my daily job at the Hope Fertility Cl Clinic mm. to deal with women, A, that want to have a baby, or B, that want to have a baby later on in life. Mm. Mm. Right. Now, it's such an interesting question that you asked, and I, and I just want to explain to you how your menstrual cycle works. Mm. So every month... Whether you get a period or don't get a period, whether you're on contraception or don't get or not on contraception, your eggs naturally die. Mm. So women are born with a finite amount of eggs, which are the most, wait for it, when you are 20 weeks old in your mother's womb. No, <laughs> I'm so shocked to hear this. <laughs> the, so the day, uh, the day you are born, your eggs start declining. And when you, that's why, this is why. <laughs> Sorry, all the women in the room, our mouths are like, <gasps> I'm so shocked. Uh, this is the response I get from all women. Uh, and this is why women reach the menopause. What is the menopause? Menopause essentially is a situation where there are no more eggs. And men, interestingly, don't reach the menopause because they make new sperm that didn't exist when they were born throughout mm. their life. Mm. A woman will never, uh, never release an egg that was not there on the day that she was born. Wow, that is so fascinating. The other myth that I want to talk about is you know that in your menstrual cycle, one egg grows, one egg ovulates, and then you get your period. Mm. But that's not entirely true. Mm. Thousands of eggs grow. Only one will ovulate and the rest will die. How many eggs are there? I'm very concerned. So, so <laughs> typically speaking, at 20 weeks old in your mother's womb, you'll have about 2 million what we call 
follicles, yes. right? The day you're born, it goes down to one million. And the day you start to menstruate, which we call menarche, which is a medical term, yes. it's down to 500,000. Which now menstruation age is becoming younger and younger. So you could be seven, eight well, seven is, uh, seven is oh, not okay. Mm. Above eight is okay. Mm. So in the last sort of, I would say, 15, 20 years, it's kind of stabilized at 15. Mm. And we largely believe it's probably due to a better diet. Mm. Um, so back to our, back to our topic on, on, on the risks. So those eggs, as I've mentioned before, they are naturally dying. Whether we use them or don't, they die. Even when you're pregnant, your eggs are naturally dying. So what? So wait, don't the eggs just hang around a little bit for the nine months? Nope. Why? I, I'm, how? Because they are programmed to die. They are programmed. It's a natural process of apoptosis. That's why all women reach the menopause. Even if you had a baby or you didn't. Okay. Yeah. So based on that theory, there are many eggs that sort of grow to a certain size every month. One will ovulate, the rest will die. Mm. So when we are freezing the eggs, our medication only works on the eggs when they come to a certain point, mm. which is about three to five millimeters in size. Mm. The eggs that are smaller cannot be affected by our medication. Mm. Therefore, I can only grow the eggs that would have grown in this month, that would have also died in this month if we didn't take them out. So there's a chance that you take out eggs that are already starting to die. If we didn't take them out this month. Okay. So now then let's talk about the whole freezing thing. What are the dangers of freezing eggs? Oh, correct. So then let's talk about the process. So once I talk about the process, then I'll speak to what the different dangers are at different time periods. Mm. So the first step is we don't want to get one egg. We want to get many eggs. Why? Mm. Because if we have many eggs, we can make many embryos later on, mm. which will give us more opportunities of falling pregnant. Mm. So in order for us to achieve that, we need to give a woman some medication. Mm. Now, the injections are very small injections. They're very similar to diabetic type of needles injections, and they're designed for self-administration. Mm. So women take it by themselves at home for a period of approximately 10 maybe 12 days. Mm. After the 12 days, we do a process called an egg retrieval. Mm. How is the egg retrieval done? Basically, we put a drip in a woman's hand. We give her a sedation, which simply means that she doesn't remember anything. She doesn't feel any pain. But it's not like sedation like GA. No, it's it's, that's why. The okay. difference between a GA is that you're not breathing. You've got a tube down your mouth. Oh, okay. A sedation, there is no tube down your mouth. Okay. But you won't feel any pain. There is no cutting involved. Yes. All right. So if you go to the gynecologist and they do an internal scan, they have a scan that they put into the vagina. Mm. On the very similar scan, we can see all the eggs because they will be bigger mm. from our medication. And then we put a, very, a needle, like if you take blood, go to the mm. lab and take blood. We put a needle and we suck the eggs out. You probably at our facility for about two hours and then you go back home. Mm. So based on the process and then at the, once we take the eggs out then we freeze them with special media and chemicals and then we keep them frozen mm. we i get a very interesting question what about escom and load shedding does it, <laughs> does it have, i mean these are valid valid questions <laughs> that is true that is true today um now the thing is we don't freeze in a freezer with electricity we freeze in liquid nitrogen Mm. So we have got these big tanks that are specially marked. So your eggs will be, imagine like a library system. Yes. Your eggs are specifically kept in a specific location with your name and a specific number. 
So based on that process, the first step is stimulation, second step is retrieval, and then freezing. A woman only needs to take one day off work, and that's the day of the egg retrieval. Mm. There is no cutting involved. Mm. So let's talk about the complications at the different phases. The one complication or potential complication is the risk of you making too many eggs and you get a little bit sick. The chance of that happening is less than 1%. By sick, you mean flu? or No, no. Uh, so basically, you, your tummy gets a little bit swollen. You okay. take on a lot of fluid. And, and, and there's, we'll talk, the, the actual medical name is called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. I got you. I got you. But with... Technology and with training, we, uh, we can decrease that risk quite significantly. Mm. So the chance of that happening is literally 1%, which is very small. Yes, yes. Then in terms of the actual procedure of the egg retrieval, the chance of having any infection or bleeding. So I, if I list possible risks, one would be infection, mm. one would be bleeding. But the chance of that happening is less than 2%. Okay, I want to take a pause so we can take a quick break because I need to find out why you would encourage freezing of eggs and not freezing of embryos. O double one double eight three oh seven oh two. I see your calls, I see your WhatsApps. Month, one will ovulate, the rest will die. Mm. So when we are freezing the eggs, our medication only works on the eggs when they come to a certain point, mm. which is about three to five millimeters in size. Mm. The eggs that are smaller cannot be affected by our medication. Mm. Therefore, I can only grow the eggs that would have grown in this month, that would have also died in this month if we didn't take them out. So there's a chance that you take out eggs that are already starting to die? If we didn't take them out this month. Okay. So now then let's talk about the whole freezing thing. What are the dangers of freezing eggs? Uh, Correct. So then let's talk about the process. So once I talk about the process, then I'll speak to what the different dangers are at different time periods. Mm. So the first step is we don't want to get one egg. We want to get many eggs. Why? Mm. Because if we have many eggs, we can make many embryos later on, Mm. which will give us more opportunities of falling pregnant. Mm. So in order for us to achieve that, we need to give a woman some medication. Now, the injections are very small injections. They're very similar to diabetic type of needles injections, and they're designed for self-administration. So women take it by themselves at home for a period of approximately 10, maybe 12 days. Mm. After the 12 days, we do a process called an egg retrieval. Mm. How is the egg retrieval done? Basically, we put a drip in a woman's hand. We give her a sedation, which simply means that she doesn't remember anything. She doesn't feel any pain. But it's not like sedation like GA. No, it's de- it's, that's why. The okay. difference between a GA is that you're not breathing. You've got a tube down your mouth. Oh, okay. A sedation, there is no tube down your mouth. Okay. But you won't feel any pain. There is no cutting involved. Yes. Right? So if you go to the gynecologist and they do an internal scan, they have a scan that they put into the vagina. Mm. On the very similar scan, we can see all the eggs because they will be bigger mm. from our medication. And then we put a, very, a needle, like if you take blood, go to the mm. lab and take blood. We put a needle and we suck the eggs out. You probably at our facility for about two hours and then you go back home. Mm. So based on the process and then at the, once we take the eggs out then we freeze them with special media and chemicals and then we keep them frozen mm. we i get a very interesting question what about escom and load shedding does <laughs> it, does it i mean these are valid valid questions <laughs> that is true that is true today um now the thing is we don't freeze in a freezer with electricity we freeze in liquid nitrogen mm. 
Mm. So we have got these big tanks that are specially marked. So your eggs will be, imagine like a library system. Your eggs are specifically kept in a specific location with your name and a specific number. So based on that process, the first step is stimulation. Second step is retrieval and then freezing. A woman only needs to take one day off work and that's the day of the egg retrieval. Mm. There is no cutting involved. Mm. So let's talk about the complications at the different phases. The one complication or potential complication is the risk of you making too many eggs and you get a little bit sick. The chance of that happening is less than 1%. By sick, you mean flu? or No, no. Uh, so basically, you, your tummy gets a little bit swollen. You okay. take on a lot of fluid. And, and, and there's, we'll talk, the, the actual medical name is called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. I got you. I got you. But with... Technology and with training, we uh, we can decrease that risk quite significantly. Mm. So the chance of that happening is literally one percent, which is very small. Yes, yes. Then in terms of the actual procedure of the egg retrieval, the chance of having any infection or bleeding. So if I list possible risks, one would be infection, Mm. one would be bleeding. But the chance of that happening is less than two percent. Okay, I want to take a pause so we can take a quick break because I need to find out why you would encourage freezing of eggs and not freezing of embryos. O double one double eight three oh seven oh two. I see your calls, I see your WhatsApps. Seven oh two Masterclass. All right, as we are getting closer to wrapping up our masterclass, I'll do my best to get through as many questions as possible. We are still with our guest talking preserving fertility for women, Dr. Neelan Pillay, specialist gynecologist and subspecialist in reproductive medicine and endocrine. So he really is the doctor to speak on this particular topic. We were just wrapping up the conversation around freezing, of which you would encourage the 35-year-old caller to freeze her eggs. They aren't. Yes, there are risks with every procedure, no matter how big or small but you would encourage at this age to freeze if possible without a doubt um, you know i just want to talk about the previous caller i think she was from europe that was mm. about 44 years old yes now let's take a hypothetical scenario if she had frozen her eggs when she was 35 mm. we could use her eggs mm. from the age of 35 mm. and fertilize it and use her eggs to create an embryo and she could fall pregnant now at the age of 35 now unfortunately at the age of 44 options are limited to that of an egg donor Mm. So why would you encourage a couple to freeze eggs and not freezing the embryo? Okay, that's a a little bit of a broad question. Okay. Um, Firstly, why are they actually want fertility preservation? Mm. Can't they just conceive or try to conceive naturally right now? Mm. But if that's not possible, let's say, I mean, let's talk about a woman I've got right now. Let's call her Jane. Right. Mm. Actually, she's a patient who I'm busy seeing right now. Mm. Uh, she's 31 years old. Lovely lady. She's just got recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. All right. And she's going for chemotherapy. Now, we know her chemotherapy has a potential, a strong potential of killing her eggs yes. and rendering her infertile later on. Now, Jane and her husband, she's married. They're coming to see me mm. and they want to have children. But unfortunately, they can't have children now. She has com- completed the chemotherapy mm. and she's got to be disease-free for a year before she can conceive. At that point in time, she might not have any eggs. Mm. She's in a stable relationship. So we can take the eggs out, fertilize with her husband's sperm, create the embryos and freeze the embryos. Okay, that makes complete sense. But mm. second part, there are advantages and disadvantages of freezing eggs and sperm. The embryo, which is very, very, very important, is the property of the man and the woman. 
We know those legal cases where somebody's fighting to get the embryo. So the disadvantage, of course, is you have to both be present at the time if you're keeping the embryo. So would you then say you could freeze some eggs and an, and, and an embryo? That is very, very true. Okay, let's quickly go to some questions. Let's go get to as many as we can. For Ryan Randberg, you've been waiting patiently. Go ahead. Okay, Farai? Hello. Yes, Hi, go ahead, Farai. Yes, um, you know, um, I was just curious. Um, uh, if, if a woman uh, uh, has, wants to have a child via IVF, mm-hmm. right, via a donor egg, mm. uh, does that child have any characteristics or genes or traits of, the, of, of that woman? The, as in the carrier. So is there any DNA that can be passed from a carrier um, to the egg? The simple answer to that question is no. Mm. However, it's not a simple answer. Mm. We all have two sets of genes. One you get from your mom, one you get from your dad. Mm. Both genes are not switched on in your body. Mm. One gene is switched off, one gene is switched on. That is a process called of methylation and demethylation. Yes. And that is under the control of the carrier. Mm. But strictly speaking, the answer is no. Okay. And that obviously answers all the questions around legalities and, you know, you can't as an egg. Well, that's a whole nother conversation is what happens if you are an egg donor. But that process has its own issues, which we'll touch on another day. Rachel and Kempton Park, go ahead. Good afternoon. Yes. Um, I recently went to my gynae and you found that I have an ovarian cyst. Hmm. Could that affect my fertility? And even when the cyst has been removed, will it have any effect on my fertility or will the cyst being removed um, help me and I can be, I can, I'll be fertile still? Thank you so much, Rachel. Okay, now broadly speaking, Rachel, there are various types of cysts, right? So let's park that one idea on the one side. There's two things. Let's say the three things that kill eggs. Mm. One is age. Mm. Two is a disease. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, your cyst was an endometriosis cyst. Mm. It can kill eggs. And three is surgery. Mm. So sometimes, if a cyst is removed, it can do more harm than good. Because remember, the cyst is, if it's an ovarian cyst, is within the ovary. And by taking out the cyst, we can also take out normal ovarian tissue mm. and thereby decrease your ovarian reserve. So in fact, we can be counterproductive. And this is what we have learned with science now, that all cysts do not need to be removed. And if they can be treated medically as far as possible, rather treat medically and avoid surgery. Mm. Now, now this is a blanket statement. Obviously, you get cancerous cysts, etc., mm. which you know, don't, don't involve that statement. Thank you so much for that one. Khakiso in Bryanston, go ahead. Hi, Rene Bukhila. I wanted to ask the doctor, what's the earliest age would advise women to check their fertility and can it be corrected if it's found, if it's found um, at that age? Thank earlier. you so much. Thank you so much, Khakiso. Okay, so I'm going I'm to talk about fertility purely from an ovarian point of view. And I want to mm. say purely, I'm not talking about the ovaries, I'm not talking about the uterus. Mm. Ovarian reserve, meaning the amount of eggs you have in your ovary, cannot go up. They can only go down, mm. right? Because that's why women reach the menopause and men don't. Mm. Um, the earliest, you know what, it, 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 you know, it depends, really, really it depends. If a woman is healthy, she doesn't have painful periods, she's having a regular menstrual cycle, 
this is a, not a blanket statement now mm. uh, but and the science is probably a little bit poor but i think around the age of 28 to 30 is a time that you probably should look at looking at a fertility closer mm. at what point i mean um there's so many questions we're not even going to get a chance to get to but to come back to the preservation of fertility at what point should a woman feel the need to go and con- consult with a specialist like yourself i mean you mentioned you know before 35 if after a year you aren't falling pregnant then possibly consider that a uh, correct and so i i think you also need to understand what your long term plan is as i said if you think you've got painful periods irregular periods then you should consult immediately but let's say you're healthy and well and you think in your mind now you're sitting at the age of 28 and you think in your mind that there's no way that you're going to have a baby before the age of 35 mm. then i think you should consult because it's better to freeze the eggs earlier because you're going to get a better quality egg you're going to get more quantity because there's more eggs at that point in time than later on in your life it's far better to freeze an egg from a 28 year old woman than the age of 35 because 35 you've got a higher risk of down syndrome compared mm. to the age of 28 28 you've got more volume of eggs mm. so you're going to pay the same amount of money to freeze the eggs at 28 and 28 hypothetically speaking if we do well we can get about 20 eggs and a 35 year old woman we're probably going to get 15 to 10 you know this not again not a blanket policy but just to show you the difference that a 35 year old woman would make less eggs than a 28 year old woman We've got so many questions and so many things we didn't cover with you doctor so I'm going to do our best to see if we can get you back for a part 2 of this conversation so many women sharing their challenges asking for advice asking what should we be eating what is the ideal diet and things like that but really really appreciate your time thank you so much for joining us thank you so much guys for having me on your show it was such a pleasure